God's good, isn't he? Good. Another two people think that. God's good, isn't he? Yes. Hallelujah. Isn't it a privilege to worship Jesus? And this exhibition is just glorious. If this isn't a sign of God's creation, of God's huge generosity towards all of humankind in this creation, I don't know what is a sign. Wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone here could think of maybe just three people that they could bring along to this in person and come along and, and maybe sit next door and have a coffee and then that will give you an opportunity to chat a little bit about what you think, not just of the quality of the pictures or the skill of the photographers or the incredible patience. I'd love to know how many hours went into taking all of those pictures, but I bet it's, it's thousands of hours went into taking those pictures. But actually, to point the finger at the one that created everything that we've just been looking at, wouldn't that be incredible? Three people? I reckon we could do that. Um, and, and we could run out of coffee in the stable, and wouldn't that be a great problem to have? <laughs> let's do that. Let's, let's, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your greatness, for your generosity towards us in all ways. We are people who are so outrageously blessed by you, Jesus. And Lord, see our hearts. We come to you this morning, Lord, not with perfect lives, Lord, and the circumstances of our lives are far from perfect. But we do come to you, the perfect God, Lord, who meets us where we are and who speaks to us through your word and by your spirit. This is our humble request now, Jesus. Speak to us through your word and by your spirit that we might know more of you, Lord, that we might be encouraged in our faith. And Lord, that we might also be challenged because our hearts to become more like you, Jesus. I'm so far short. You know I am. Jesus, today, make me more like you. I pray this with my brothers and sisters in this place for your kingdom's sake, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Okie dokie, so there'll be a PowerPoint will go up on the screen. This reading that we just had beautifully read to us, thank you before, from Philippians chapter 1, um, is from the most incredible book. I don't know what your favourite book of the Bible is. We shouldn't have favourites, but most of us do. Well, of the letters, of the epistles, of course, there are many, many wonderful things. But oftentimes, the writer of the letter is writing to address something that's severely out of, out of whack, if you like, in a local church. Something's gone wrong. The wheels have come off. There's either some teaching or some practice, some attitudes that need to be addressed. Actually, the letter to the church in Philippi is maybe a little different to that, in that actually we don't have an awful lot of rebuke in this particular letter. We don't have an awful lot of correcting of false teaching or the like. It's just hugely encouraging for all those who would have read it. In fact, I would suggest to you that Philippians is as close as we get in Scripture to a thank you letter. I don't know how many of you write thank you letters when you get gifts and what have you. Some of you do, yeah. Um, some of you have made your children do that in, over the years. I try to do that now with my two. I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. It's getting more difficult. These days, the beautifully crafted thank you letter now looks a little bit more like a WhatsApp or a text or something along those. At least, generally speaking, the sentiment is still there, even if the media has changed. I believe that when the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Philippi, I think almost certainly from house arrest in Rome, he's writing a thank you letter to these people whom he knows, whom he loves, 
who clearly love him. Let's get into this a little bit more. Are we going to get a PowerPoint? Is that going to be a possible? Oh, beautiful. Look at that. It's so good to come to a church where it just works. That's rare. <laughs> well, let us celebrate in God's goodness. <laughs> Real. Okie dokie. So the verses particularly we'll look at then. If, if, next slide, please. Well, hang on a second. I know why this isn't working. It's come and turned it on. User error. Now let's give it a go. Down here. You might, need to, you might need to press the button for me. There we go. It is working. There we are. Uh, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I kind of love the whole of this letter, but of course, because of the highlights, we miss bits if we're not careful. We've got this very famous section in chapter 2 of Philippians, the Christ hymn as it's sometimes called, the bit where it talks of Jesus who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming a servant. It's right that that should be a highlight passage. There are certain passages in scripture that tell us of who Jesus is, Christology, of who Christ is. And that's one of the central ones about the nature of who God is, as seen in Jesus. It's right, it should be a highlight. And of course, we've got other verses that make it to our fridge magnets, our car stickers and our posters. So a little way longer, we've got the rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say... Excellent. And no doubt that is your fridge magnet or what have you. Rightly so, because it's a really great verse. The problem, of course, is when we highlight just certain parts of a book, we read over or skim read other bits. So today we're not going to. Today we're going to stop on this bit before we get to the Christ hymn and before we get to the fridge magnets. And we're going to think, right, what actually was Paul meaning when he used this phrase, partnership in the gospel? Because it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds wonderful. In, in terms of a distant concept, of course we'd all say amen. We like the sound of a bit of that. But what actually did it mean for Paul and the church in Philippi? And significantly, what therefore does it mean for you and the rest of you here in Fivehead and me and our family and God's family in today's age, in contemporary society? What does this thing, partnership in the gospel, mean? The words that Paul uses in Greek... For those Greek scholars, I know there are some amongst us. Um, for partnership, next slide please, is koinonia. Koinonia, I'll say it so for those of you that can't read Greek. Koinonia is a familiar word for those of you that have been around the life of a church for some time. If it's not, don't panic. You don't need to know Greek to be a Christian. Um, it's helpful when you're studying God's word, but you don't need to know it to be a Christian. When you've heard the word koinonia mentioned, though, probably it's been translated as the word fellowship. It's the normal translation of the word koinonia. Not wrong. Except as much as, just one click on for me, if I say the word fellowship to you, most of you are thinking of something a little bit like this. Of a fellowship meal, of that sense of kind of getting together, uh, quiche, primarily. Um, uh, of which there is no harm in quiche. Uh, unless, of course, there's lots of it. Uh, and and that's, 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 fair, that's fair enough. As you can tell, I'm a big fan of this form of koinonia, so I don't want to put you off. Please do not stop seeing this kind of 
koinonia, as central to who you are. Just as an aside, I do wonder whether the gift, the spiritual gift of hospitality, is one of the most underutilised gifts in our church. I mean, we all say that we're welcoming churches and we're hospitable churches. But actually, I'm not entirely sure how that always plays its way through, hopefully here more than most. We've got the idea that fellowship and and hospitality, that that eating together is good, of course. Any of you that have done an alpha course will know that every single session starts with a meal. Here's a secret. That's why people come. Um, And if they listen to the talk, that's a bonus. But, But they come for the food. Have you ever wondered how long it takes for those that have come to faith as a result of alpha and come into the life of the churches to start asking why all the free foods dried up? How, how come we don't, that isn't our normal thing? How, how, was, that, was that some kind of bait? I mean, the, the, truth, the truth be told is, is that this just ought to be part of what we do. Right? This, is, this is our community. Other, other religious communities have got it. They know that hospitality is centrally a part of what it means to be a person of faith. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure it always plays itself out in the reality of churches, evangelical churches and others as well. Just an aside. Of course, even worse is if koinonia gets reduced down not just to eating, but to that little bit at the end of the service, which no doubt we will enjoy at the end of this service, where it's the cup of tea and a biscuit. Yeah? Next slide, please. Which often ends in the most dreadful disasters. <laughs> has, has this ever happened to you, where your 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 fellowship your fellowship drink and your fellowship biscuit is destroyed with one moment of carelessness, where you just for a moment leave the rich? I don't know why it's rich tea biscuits. They're obviously more sanctified than most. But you leave it you leave it in the drink that bit too long, and it drops off, and and, and oh, something inside you dies when that happens, doesn't it? And, and and you think just for a moment, you think, can I scoop the biscuit out and maintain any? sense of dignity and of course the answer is no you can't do that that's not an option to you and then you think can I drink past the biscuit and and, and of course that's not really an option either and one foolish moment koinonia has been reduced down to this disaster mush in the bottom of a cup and, and that's not what the apostle Paul meant when he used the word koinonia as he was writing to the church in Philippi about partnership in the gospel. Yet actually, so often, and we reduce it down and reduce it down, and it ends up becoming almost irrelevant or at best a farce. Look, next slide please. For those of you that are interested, the word koinonia can be translated in a number of different ways. Those of you that know other languages will know this for yourselves, that when you translate into English, there's a number of different words that that word can mean. So it is with Greek. And so koinonia can mean fellowship, but it can also mean association or communion or partnership. The one that I want to particularly highlight there, because I believe it to be closest to what Paul meant when he used the word, is close relationship. I thank my God and I always pray with joy because of your close relationship in the gospel. Now we're getting somewhere, I think. That's what Paul was really trying to get at. Now, some of you know me well and you've heard me preach before. Um, You'll know that my style is um, what my homiletics, my preaching tutor at college, used to call um, narrative, which was a nice way of saying, Carl, you just waffle on, uh, and uh, it has no sense of direction. 
So for my, for my preaching tutor back at Spurgeon's College and for you today, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the three P's of partnership in a structured and memorable manner so that you can take them home and think through them a little bit more. Next slide, please. The first P of partnership, one more click. The first P of partnership is prayer. Look, if partnership in the gospel is not about prayer, I do not know what it's about. Paul even writes these words within the context of prayer. I always pray with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. He goes on at the end part of the passage that was read to us to actually say, and this is my prayer. Verse 9, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's not a bad prayer, is it? I mean, wouldn't it be incredible if a prayer similar to that could be prayed by Five Head Baptist Church for all nations in Plymouth? Wouldn't it be incredible if a prayer like that could be prayed with a real sense of insight and intelligence for these guys in Russia? Wouldn't it be just a wonderful thing if our prayer meetings, when we come, is not just a list of our own requests and the things that we know are pertinent to this community, but that actually when we come before the Lord, we uphold the needs of our brothers and sisters in other places. Why? Well, because I think centrally this is what partnering in the gospel is about. And because we believe that prayer is powerful, do we? The most powerful thing. So if we can't do this, we might as well pack up and go home, sisters and brothers. Ultimately, we need to be bringing before our Heavenly Father the needs of our sisters and brothers elsewhere in the world, even just down the road, even just in North Devon, in that little coastal community, or in other places, and say, God, will you provide for them? Will you show a way forward? Can we be in a place where you five-head Baptists can say, this is coming up? Well, let me tell you one way this is working. We already know, as a family of churches, about your exhibition. And so, across our association family, there will be people praying for five-head Baptist church and for the kingdom of God to be known through this particular exhibition this week. They know about it already, or family of churches. They'll get a reminder, those of them that do Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, because I'll put it out there again today and through the week. They'll be praying for you. Who are you praying for? Which of them are you praying for? And this is the question. Can we partner together? Paul, under house arrest in Rome, clearly had a concern for, a heart for, a love for, this church that he had some knowledge of in Philippi. So can we be those who pray for our sisters and brothers in other places? Partner together for the gospel in prayer. That's first P. Second P, if you just click on, is presence. Let me read these verses from Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. Paul writes this, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on, not only on him but also on me to spur me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him 
back to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. I said in one of the churches that I was talking to once and mentioned Epaphroditus. Has anyone heard of Epaphroditus? And one of the ladies said, I think I just got some cream from my doctor for that this week. Epaphroditus is an actual person. There he is in scripture. He's a character. Clearly, he is someone of some standing from this fledgling church in Philippi. Who the church in Philippi, having heard via the grapevine from Rome, some considerable distance of Paul's need, had sent one of their, I believe, their best people to go and help Paul where he was. Remember, of course, that in the first century, if you were stuck in your house, some of us might think, wouldn't that be wonderful? If you're stuck in, in, in your house in first century Palestine, in, in Rome, you're not there on the internet looking at your benefits, coming into your bank account and ordering your food online. I mean, it might not be as bad as some of the prisons that Paul ended up spending a fair chunk of his life in, but it was pretty bad. Siege conditions. Look, you could. You could literally starve to death if you were under house arrest because you weren't allowed out. You couldn't go make money. You couldn't go buy stuff. Actually, unless you've got people who can be your go-between, you're stuck. <coughs> Epaphroditus was sent to be one of those folks of Paul, to serve him, to be that person who would aid him whilst he was under house arrest in Rome. And he would have gone on a difficult journey, which would have been through bandit-ridden country and across seas. We all know that that was a little bit trepidatious back in the first century. Paul writes about that as well. Sea travel was not an easy thing. To go to Paul's aid from Philippi. That made such a difference to Paul. What does that look like in our time, in our generation, in our family of churches? Could you, one or two of you, go and visit one of the home mission supported churches? Say, we're from Five Head Baptist. We'd just love to come and know a little bit about what you're doing. Where's the gloves? Can I do some washing up for you? Or whatever. And we'll take back some messages. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with real heart and intelligence because we know a little bit about what you're doing. Maybe we can come and serve you and you can come and serve us. Maybe if you're doing a mission week and you need some extra hands, we can send a couple of our people to go and help you out. But equally, now that we know you, when we're putting on a holiday club, could you reckon you could send a couple of your folks to help us out? Do you see what I mean? I can't tell you how many of our churches say to me, we've got big vision, but we haven't got the people. Well, we have, you know. You haven't on your own. But within our family, we abundantly have. If actually we could get to the point of being close enough and in relationship enough with each other to see what Five Head Baptist is doing in mission as my mission when I'm in Penzance, or vice versa, then we have got enough people with plenty of gifting and plenty of talent. We've got enough. I travel a lot, believe me, I know. 
One of the things that um, happened, most of you, in fact, I, I come, came here to speak to you whilst I was the minister at Watch It Baptist some years back. Um, uh, Watch It Baptist Church had a, a family that was sent from a church in Chippenham, um, a wonderful family who um, are still there. And they were sent almost as missionaries from this large Baptist church in Chippenham to what was then quite a tiny little Baptist church, hanging on to the edge of the world in Watch It. Uh, and, and it was great to have them. But once a year, there was this delegation that came from Chippenham Baptist Church, normally for about three or four days, normally from the leadership team of Chippenham Baptist, to watch it. And they'd come for several reasons. Firstly, to make sure that we were treating their people well. We were looking after them properly, because we ought to have. Yeah? And we're not talking the first year they came. They still do it. They've been there for over a decade now, and this still happens. Equally, they'd come and they'd say, what can we do? We're here for a couple of days. Can we help out with the sanctuary, similar-ish to the stable? So some of the stuff that went on there. Can we, can we help out? Can we make some coffees or do something? And when they went back, they took back messages from Watch It to Chippenham so the church there could pray. There's now a relationship between Watch It and Chippenham that is there because of this sense of presencing with each other and praying for each other. Could that happen between Fivehead and some of the churches? Could that be something that we do because the kingdom of God is bigger than just us? Can we, can we consider what that might look like in our context at this point in time? And then, the third P, which of course you know there's only ever three Ps, so we're getting towards the end. Let me read this verse to you. This is from Philippians and chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says, I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is a thank you letter, isn't it? I mean, it's full of really good stuff, but more than anything else, this is a thank you letter, I'm sure of it. It is about providing for each other's needs. We can't get around this. We recognise that God blesses us, but he doesn't do that for us to keep hold of it. If you want to go all the way back to the original commissioning of the people of God through Abraham, then God says to Abraham back in Genesis that I am going to bless you, but I'm also going to make you a blessing to all the nations. That's still the commission of God's people today. And you, because of the work of Jesus Christ, are grafted in. You're part of that group. You're part of the people of God. And your commission are to be those that recognise the blessings that God has poured upon you, but also to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. We follow in that same line, that same train. Blessings can look like all kinds of things. But in our context, one of the things it does look like is finance. It looks like providing for each other's needs. Look, that's what happened to Paul. It's not a new idea. I'm guessing that the gift that Epaphroditus took from Philippi to Rome probably wasn't things like food. Food didn't travel well back in the first century. It wasn't cheese or something. Um, equally, it almost certainly wasn't clothes or the like. We learned that Paul was fairly handy with a needle and thread. Um, he could knock up the odd tent when he needed to, so probably it wasn't clothes either. Now, almost certainly it was a gift of money. It was what was going to be most useful makes Epaphroditus' journey just incidentally all the more incredible. Talk about painting a target on your back for the bandits on the road. Sends you off on this big long journey through complex routes and laden you with a gift of money as well. My word. What an incredible bloke this Epaphroditus was. I wish I knew more about him. Might get to meet him one day. I've got a few questions. 
and you can't get a cream for it. So, so this whole idea of money, this whole idea of giving and providing for each other's needs is part of koinonia for the gospel. It's right there in this book, in this letter, and I believe it's still the case. But that could look like all kinds of different things, but one of the ways it does look is home mission. One of the things that I do as part of my role as a regional minister for mission is go to Spring Harvest. Some of you will know of Spring Harvest, and I dare say some of you have probably been to it. Uh, the closest one here is uh, in Minehead. Uh, I go, and amongst other things that I do there, I staff a store, which is about helping people find their place in the mission of God. And we talk and we pray for people who are at Spring Harvest who are just trying to discern where God's calling them to be. And there was this lovely couple from a church in Derbyshire that came an independent church, not connected with any other church, an independent church in Derbyshire, and they came and they shared this incredible vision of what God had given, not just them, they said their church, in terms of reaching their community with the gospel, and they talked about it was going to be a, a, a shop unit, and it was going to uh, engage with the people in the community in ways that met their needs, things like community meals, etc., etc. There was some of my experience and background that was kind of rang true, and we were like-minded in this. And then they said, but well, we just can't afford it. It was like, it was all this pouring out of them, and then they went, yeah, but we haven't got the money for it. And it was almost like that was, so therefore that's the end of the story. Then they said to me, and I'm not joking, I'm not putting this on, I promise you, they said, wouldn't it be incredible if, I don't know, like a few churches could put their hand in the pocket and put some money into a central pot, out of which things like this could be supported? That would be incredible. What a gift that would be. Such a thing exists, sisters and brothers. At least it does in our family of churches. It's called home mission. That's what that's for. That's about each of us recognising that we are blessed to be a blessing to others. That's about putting some money into the central pot so that mission activity, either through ministry or in other ways, can be supported in places that God is calling his people, but not necessarily has given them personally the resource for that. Why does God do that sometimes? I don't know. I've got so many questions. Except actually within the whole of God's family, he's given plenty of resource. Within all of God's family, there's enough resource for that little church. The question is, how are they going to know it? How will that resource be realised for them? How will the resource be realised for the church in North Devon? Well, abundantly, God's provided vision. I believe he will provide. Maybe he'll choose to provide through other parts of his family. And maybe he'll do that because actually he doesn't just need for your money to go to a place. He needs for you to have a sense of relationship with what's going on there. Your presence. He needs for you more than anything to be praying for that place. And he knows if some of your money goes there, you're more likely to do that. Let's be frank. That, I would say, is partnership in the gospel. Prayer, presence, and also providing for each other's needs. I'm going to, next slide please, just quickly mention one particular verse. And then I've got a very quick video that I'd like to show you of a different project that you're supporting, Fivehead, which is in Penzance. Uh, and then we'll pray for them before I close. But let me say this. I feel that I wouldn't be doing my duty properly. And in preparing, this is a verse which I think is significant for you guys here. 
It's the last one. Let me read it again. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, Five Head Baptist Church, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Look, for those of you that like the Greek, there's not much ambiguity in that sentence. You can't translate the word will in that last verse to might or could. There is no sense of possibility of him completing the work that he started. It's assurance. It's absolutely stonewall what God has started, he will complete. The work that God has started in you, he will complete. Some of you have served God tirelessly in this place and in others for very many years. Some of you will know the tiredness that that brings, physically, emotionally, and sometimes spiritually. Some of you have been looking back through the minor prophets for that verse that says, you have served well, good and faithful child, now put your feet up and relax. And you're really trying really hard, but you're struggling to find that verse. Many have tried and many have failed. If you do succeed, you let me know. But then as you keep flicking, you'll come across verses like this one, which seems to suggest that maybe God's not finished with you yet. Do you believe that? Some of you look like you're not so sure. Hear this, God has not finished with you yet. If you're looking for biblical evidence, you become cream of the crop in God's service when you hit about 80. All right? So abundantly, your work here is not yet done. What might that look like? Well, that's for you, brothers and sisters here, along with those in leadership in this church, to discern what that looks like. But here's what I do know. It definitely looks like something. This week, it might look like three of your friends saying, come on, we're going to go and look at some incredible photos and have a nice coffee. It's decent coffee. And then we'll sit and we'll chat. That might be what it looks like this week. But next week, what will it look like? And the week after, what will it look like? I can't tell you that, but I can tell you that God wants it to look like something. The work he has started, he will complete. He absolutely will. So be challenged, but be encouraged by that. He'll provide for your needs as well. And maybe he'll do that through the prayers of other churches in our family. And through other churches sending people to encourage you. And through other churches giving to your needs in Five Head. Because they see it as their work as much as your work. Maybe that's how it's going to look here as well. But let's move forwards with that sense of togetherness, of being part of God's family, to realise what God's kingdom looks like together rather than alone.